0: Good morning and welcome. It's great to get together. Um, wonderful to worship God together. If you're a guest here this morning with us, thank you for joining us. My name is Soroush. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee, and it's a real honor here this morning to just be able to worship together and to share the word of God with you. Uh, so we're going to continue our series on the book of Esther this morning, and we'll be looking into chapter three. Um, so over the past uh, couple of weeks, we looked in the, into the first two chapters. Uh, I like the Book of Festa because sometimes it's clear. What's in, in there is quite clear to understand. Sometimes it's clear as mud. Or for non-teeciders, it's less clear. Uh, and I like that. I've come to realize that uh, in this part of the world, uh, things, uh, people like things to be black and white. People like things to be right or wrong. Uh, so it's one way or another. Uh, But for a Middle Eastern, uh, it doesn't always work like that. So our minds don't quite work like that. And the Bible offers countless opportunities, really. And the book of Esther is one of them. So we read in the first two chapters of a girl who's an orphan uh, and has been adopted by her cousin, Mordecai. This girl is, of course, Esther. Um, She then becomes the queen of Persia, which, by the way, comes, uh, according to chapter two, comes with an amazing beauty treatment package. Um, And then she becomes one of the first stories of women who are empowered, uh, a courageous woman who's godly and fights a battle with God on her side. And praise God that we have many of them around. We know so many of them in today's day. And we have so many godly women who are just filled with the spirit of God, uh, filled with integrity uh, as part of our family here as well. Um, so Mordecai, um, who adopted Esther, also serves in the king's court as a trusted man. So he's uh, in there as well. Um, and, but at one point, life stops be, uh, being all rainbow and sunshine. And that's when a man called Haman enters the scene. So we read in chapter 3, verse 1. After these, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite the son of Hamadathah and advanced him and set his throne above all officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. In the previous chapter, Esther was elevated um, to to be the queen of Persia. And now in this chapter, we read of Haman being promoted. We don't really know why, um, and we don't really know how, but we now know that he's the second in command in that kingdom. And he seeks to destroy the Jews, because as we just read in that verse, Mordecai refuses to bow down before him. Um, and And Haman decides to go against him and all his people. I'm not sure about you, but I think Haman could really do with coming on our Belong series. Uh, he could really do with coming on he, and hearing different stories of different people, really getting to know people and their backstories of how God has worked in and through people. What he's planning, as we read in this chapter, is genocide. It's ethnic cleansing. He's going against a particular people group because of their ethnicity. He wants to wipe out these people, namely Jews. were of Abraham's lineage and carried God's promises. Now the unfortunate thing is that even today the children of Abraham, those who are his seed by faith, namely Christians, are being persecuted and people in parts of the world are against them because of who they believe in. We see that Haman uh, and the power of a worldly kingdom here are against two frail foreigners but two foreigners who trust in God, that God would fulfill his promises. To me, it's kind of like like watching a Borough game. Now, imagine Borough playing in the final against one of the biggest clubs in the world. You're always fearful, maybe half watching the telly, thinking, what's going to happen now? Have they scored yet? And some people who are fans may not even have any hope that there will be victory. Everyone thinks they won't stand a chance, Esther and Mordecai. Now, why didn't Mordecai bow down to Haman? I mean, it could be an easy thing to do, couldn't it? It's not like it's the end of the world. And anyway, people in some cultures, even today, bow down to each other as a sign of respect. Mordecai isn't just being rude or difficult for the sake of it. We know that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the book of Daniel didn't bow down Because they refused to bow down to an idol. They wanted to bow down before the God of the Bible alone. And God delivered them. But here, Haman is a human being. He's not an idol. So there are different theories around why Mordecai didn't bow down. We know from the passage that Haman was an Agagite. So these people, some people say that are the same as Amalek's in the book of Exodus, who were cursed by God because they cursed Israel, and also they were defeated by King Saul. So it could be related to ancestral rivalry. It may be related to centuries prior to Mordecai and Haman, but it's still very fresh in their mind. Now, memory in some cultures is woven into everyday life. Some people groups don't have a diary to plan the day, month, or year But they still remember some of the events that happened maybe centuries ago they still remember some of the disagreements their forefathers had with the neighboring people groups and that's woven into their culture so when we reach people from another culture ask yourself how important it is to take into account the history of these people to take into account the disagreements they've had with their neighbors And even think, does colonialism have a part to play in here? By not bowing down to Haman, Mordecai is reminding himself of who he is. He is from the tribe of Benjamin. Jerusalem and the temple, the very presence of God, is right in the center of his people group, the people of Benjamin. He's representing not just himself, as a man in authority, he's representing the whole people of Israel. Have you ever thought that discipleship doesn't necessarily happen on a one-to-one basis or maybe in a group with the Bibles open over a cup of tea? Although that's a great way of doing it, especially if there's food involved afterwards, there are so many other ways that it happens. How do you influence those around you? I wonder how many Jews decided to follow suit because they heard of Mordecai's actions, they heard how he stood up for what he believed in, They heard how he refused to bow down because he felt this wasn't the right thing and this isn't what God has called him to. And they were encouraged and they decided to do the same thing, maybe young and old. Mordecai doesn't compromise even when all his people are in danger. When others are distressed, it's easy for us to say, it's all right, it'll be okay, don't worry. Things will work out for the best and maybe even quote a couple of Bible verses out of context just to prove the point that yes, it'll be fine. But when it comes to ourselves and our own worries, we seem to forget all the advice we give to others. Now imagine what Mordecai is going through here. It's not just him, it's all his people that are in danger. There was a point in my life just a few years ago when I was grappling with lots of illnesses. I, would, I was admitted to the hospital on a number of occasions with different illnesses. Um, and uh, it was just within a short space of time. And in case you didn't know, uh, people uh, um, that are either born or grow up in the part of the world that I come from have a much lower pain threshold than our friends in the UK. I've got a story to prove that to you um so the fear of becoming ill was always with me i was always conscious of it because of that sort of experience within a short space of time experience of having pain and going through different phases of life having been admitted to the hospital a number of occasions it was just a fear that was with me to the point where even holidays were fear uh, were fearful it was they were filled with a sort of fear what if i fall ill what if i have to experience pain while on holiday. Even ministry trips were filled with that sort of fear. I was thinking, what will happen um, while we're on the way there? If I fall ill, what's going to happen? There was a fear I was conscious of. But I realized I had to take responsibility and sort it out. How did I manage to do it? I hear you ask. I'm glad you asked. Um, I didn't do it through just my own uh, perseverance. Through sharing it with people I trusted in, so that they could pray for me, And through prayer and leaving it to Jesus. Because if you've experienced a similar thing, you know that fear kills faith. A story here for you. The late Bishop Dehghani Tafti, who was the Bishop of Iran between 1960 and 1990, wrote in his autobiography, One Well with Two Sources, that in 1979, shortly after the Islamic Revolution in Iran, while he was in his bed, uh, at night, two guys jumped through the window uh, into his bedroom and fired a few bullets towards him uh, within a few inches away. He could see the gun barrel um, in his face. Then they ran out. Uh, of course, the bishop thought that he may be dead, uh, but he realized he's not, and he can still feel things, so he was looking for blood. He couldn't find any, and um, to his amazement, none of the four bullets that had been shot had hit him. Uh, there's still a photo of it with his pillow and the four bullets that were shot. Um, So the four bullets didn't cause any injury to him, but they caused a wound, one of them had caused a wound to his wife's hand. So the bishop asked his wife, Margaret, who was English, if she's okay, and he writes in his autobiography, with a calm composure, particular to the English only, she replied, I think I've been shot. Now, the moral of the story is that pain threshold has varying degrees depending on your ethnicity and where you come from, as I explained earlier. But also, the main point is that God has the power to deliver people, even when they're being fired from within a few inches away. At the time, there were also other Christians in other towns within Iran um, who were martyred, who were killed because of their faith. Um, Couldn't God save them? God has a plan and purpose. For each and every one of us, God has a plan for his creation and is sovereign over every single situation. He delivered me from my fear. He can deliver you from your bondage. You may be fearful of losing possession, status, family, the loved ones, those around you, reputation, and everything else that may be so precious to you. And these are all good things. But leave your fear with Jesus and trust that his grace is sufficient. Now, going back to Shush, or Susa, circa 400 BC, imagine the distress that the whole Jewish community were going through. They'd heard what Haman was planning, and months later, Haman decides to put his request to the king. The 13th day of the month of Nisan, which comes before Toyota and after Mercedes-Benz, throughout all this time the jewish community had been living in fear they were always on the edge what's going what's haman going to do was it just an empty threat or is he actually going to do something against us is he going to wipe us all out what do we do but they do so with prayer and fasting because prayer changes things jesus went through a similar thing people plotted his death they were Sitting around the table, discussing how to catch him, how to get him in, and how to kill him, and planned to destroy him. God also had a greater plan at the same time. Up to a point with Jesus' life, it may seem like God's losing. Because those who wanted to kill Jesus actually managed to do it. But the great thing is that even those who killed him heard of Jesus' resurrection on the third day. how can you defeat a guy who's defeated death what can you do against him in haman we see the depth of depravity that power and pride can cause if they're not handled with integrity there is a danger that threatens us all to turn into haman if you're in authority search your heart for pride if you're in a position of influence set your heart with god's word and keep a check every day don't despise accountability now, if you know how the historians, you can have a sigh of relief, say something Christian against the lines of praise the Lord and go about your day-to-day business. But there's also a sobering truth. The spiritual warfare continues today. And it is against the church. In parts of the world, confessing that you believe in the risen Lord Jesus and not agreeing to bow down before the spiritual authorities will cost you your life. Many of our brothers and sisters go through that every day. Some are persecuted by their families, whilst some are persecuted by authorities, similar to the story here. Next time you're unsure whether to invite someone on Alpha, or you're a bit shy about sharing your views of how Jesus would deal with a certain situation, remember that there are brothers and sisters who are sharing their faith in prison, not because they committed a civil crime, or not because... They thought of starting up a prison ministry, but because they didn't bow down to the authorities that were against Jesus, because they stood up for the word of God. So do invite your friends on Alpha at every opportunity. Do stand up and share your views of how Jesus would have acted or what his teachings are on certain situations, especially when it's to do with injustice. Do speak up in love and grace. Persecution is real. And so is our God. Despite all the adversity, God has not forgotten his people. And he's not abandoned them. And so I want to encourage you, and I'm sure you're aware of this, that prayer changes things. Whether you feel under persecution, for whatever reason, or know of others who are going through persecution, remember that God is interested in us and in every detail of our life. Pray fervently. And don't be surprised when things actually happen. Rely on God's grace. In this passage, the decree is signed by the king. Aman takes his request to the king and says, look, there's this people group who have their own laws. I want to get rid of them, and I'll pay this much money into your treasury. The king doesn't care about these people. And the fact that he'll get so much wealth makes him blind to the request. So he says, do whatever you want to do. And in in a cultural way, he says, your money is yours, as in, I don't really want your money, but we all know that's not true. So he allows Haman to carry on with the plot. Now, in parts of the world, Christians are persecuted by law. In parts of the world, the church is persecuted through the government. And you may ask, where's Jesus in all of this? Now again, if you carry on reading through this story, you will see the hand of God. It may feel like it's not there. It may feel like the world, the kingdom is taken over, but God is there and He hasn't forgotten His people. Where is Jesus in all of this? Let me answer this with another question. Who or what is your heart bowing to? You may think that's irrelevant to the question, but who we worship will allow us to think and search through where is Jesus in all of this. You may think, I'm not bowing down to anything. I'm not worshipping anything or anyone. But if you reassess your life, you'll come to realize that every human being, all of us, we bow down to something or someone. And that makes a big difference of who or what that is. If it's anyone other than Jesus, let me tell you, it will fail you. You may feel on top of the world at the moment, but Jesus says anything or anyone other than him is sinking sand. In other words, you're building life on a ground that's not secure. It will fall this day or tomorrow. Consider changing the posture of your heart to worship. Worship the King of Kings. Because the Bible says, and this is from Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So if you're not worshiping Jesus and you're not bowing down before him, as we were singing in that song, we've been ushered into the presence of the King of Kings. You have access to him. And you're able to call him a friend. If you don't know him today, or perhaps you've heard of him but haven't decided to give him your life, then make today the day you're born again. And if you know him, but perhaps you're aware of things in your life that distract you, things that want your attention, things that want you to worship them, then come back, turn back to God. There is no sitting on the fence with this one. You either worship him or anything and anyone else. Like Mordecai, let's stand up for the truth of the Word of God and be bringers of change. Make changes, influences, disciple-makers in whatever setting we are. If you're in a setting of influence, then use that to advance the kingdom of God. If you're in a place of authority, make sure you have accountability with brothers and sisters that you trust and that hold you up in their prayers, and also accountable. They ask you questions, encourage you, and challenge you. In whatever setting you are, whether work, university, or college, within your family, especially if they're non-believers, be influencers. Bring change and make disciples. It will happen over a cup of tea with your Bibles open, but more than that, it will happen in your day-to-day life, how you live your life. Again, there's no sitting on the fence with this one. And as we can see, God brings restoration and he brings change and he delivers his people. God will deliver you, regardless of your situation. He is sovereign over everything. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I'm so proud and honored to be part of a family where we have many Mordecais and Estes, but more than that, where we have many who reflect the heart of Jesus. I pray that God will bless you as you continue your week reflecting his heart, reflecting his love and grace for people. God bless you all.